0: Thanks, Richard. Um, My welcome to everybody. It's very nice to be able to to launch these projections with neighbours, friends, and colleagues. So, welcome this afternoon. I'm going to start the uh, account of of what we've been up to by setting out where we started from to get to these new projections. Um, These are the the second set of climate projections that I've been involved in, um, but they're the latest in a long line of projections. go back to that one. Um, And the reason we produce these climate projections is we believe they're useful for people who plan the future. And yet this process of planning the future is not something we really understand very well. um, How we do it and what's the best way to do it. So we could look at the entrails of birds to find out what's happening. Um, And there's a temptation to go down that path, to believe that you can be told what the future is going to be like. And I don't believe these projections are going to do that. They're going to tell you what might happen and you have to use your brains to work out what that means for you. So then it's not just um, an old-fashioned paradigm, predict, optimize, relax, job done. We prefer you to think about a paradigm that's assess Assess your current situation, your own system, hedge against different futures, which we can help describe, and then review the process. We're never going to finish adaptation. So there's a balance between learning about the climate in the future and learning about the system for which we're responsible or in which we have an interest. And another important point, I think, we're not going to be able to adapt to one future because we don't yet know what the one real future is going to be. So we have to adapt to a range of futures. And it brings in a lot of non-climate information that we may or may not have at our fingertips. What's our attitude to risk? Just how vulnerable or sensitive is our own system to the future climate? So. It's the latest in a long line of climate projections. Some of them we used to call scenarios, but we, we, we've settled on the word projections. Um, and each one is based on the best science that we can access at any one time. Um, as I say, w- the UK SIP has been involved in three of them, but what we have today is not the last in the line. There will be another one, which we've started referring to as UKCP next. And we'll start to think about that in a little while. So what we wanted from these projections was the best science, but maximally useful to everyone in society. We wanted to present information going all the way from the past that we can remember, the present that we're experiencing, and the future we have to plan for. We wanted them to be delivered by a wide scientific community. And I'm not sure how far we've achieved that. We were quite clear that stakeholders, that is people that need to adapt, should lead this process. And I think we've achieved that to some extent. And a a, a very personal view, we wanted to get the climate information in front of you just when you need it. And not before. Um, We asked users after the 2002 projections what they wanted to see. And this is what they came up with. Information about the uncertainty in these projections. And we'll go into more detail how we've done that. They wanted more detail. Everybody always wants more detail. They wanted better accessibility and perhaps a long way from the sea here, not so relevant, but they wanted more marine information. Um, And I apologize because we, we have actually ended up with some very confusing nomenclature. So UK SIP, pronounced with three syllables, is the program. Um, most of us are here this afternoon. We aim to help people understand the impacts and help them adapt to those impacts. And we used to produce projections labelled UK SIP. Um, this time around, we've streamlined that, and we now call them UKCP, UK Climate Projection, prediction, Projections, of which the first set is 09. So, those are the organization and the product. Um, And those are the websites, and they'll be available outside for you to um, find later. The process of producing these projections was not one lot of scientists writing down what they thought was going to happen and then us publishing it so everyone could read it. It was a more complex process of scientific advice and user information Into a management group that was ourselves, DEFRA, government funding partner, and Met Office Hadley Center. But because we wanted a more comprehensive package, we actually pulled in a lot of other academic partners to help us produce these things. And I think that's a fairly complete set. And much credit to all of those people. So, just to start with this question of uncertainty. If you want to know how hot it's going to be in Oxford at the end of the century, I could stand here and tell you it's going to be 42 degrees centigrade. It's not a bad number. It's probably not far wrong. But without any information about how certain that number is, it's very much less useful to you. And the situation on the right, the answer number two, is hedged around with ifs and buts and qualifications and definitions. And it's more difficult to access. It's not telling you what you think you want to know. But if you can take on board that information, it gives you a more robust basis for making decisions. So that's what we've tried to do with these projections, is to move from giving you a number to giving you a description of how good that number is as well. And you will see, when Pete shows you some real output, that you can end up with a a line of some sort that measures something to do with the probability of an outcome. So here we have a a graph of some climate variable. It it doesn't matter what it is. Um, And the probability that it's down here is quite low. The probability that it's up here is quite low the greater probability is somewhere in the middle, but we're not entirely happy with the use of the word probability. It's based on the count of different sorts of model output. So what we'd like you to see this graph as is a measure of the strength of evidence for changes of different sizes. So it's actually very unlikely that the change will be very small or very big. It is more likely to be in the middle somewhere. It's also, because this is a climate on a planet, it is not as simple as a pair of true dice. You can't know the system and know what are the outcomes that can happen. It's much more like a horse race where you know something about the probabilities to start with, but the way it actually turns out is a one-off event. So perhaps a little bit more like a horse race than um, betting on dice. And here is one such curve. This is actually for the maximum temperature over the 25 kilometer square centered on Oxford. It takes in most of the area within the ring road. Um, It's for the 30 year period around the 2080s, and it's for a high emission scenario. you can have two sorts of things. You can have the change in that maximum temperature or an absolute maximum temperature. So the reference period from which we're measuring the change is in fact the 30-year period 1961 to 90. Already about 30 years in the past, but that's the reference period. And that maximum temperature over that 25 kilometer square was around 20 and a half degrees. Now, I know you've all experienced higher temperatures than that, but that's the average over that area. And within that area, you will get higher points. And again, this side of this vertical line, there is evidence in the climate modeling that we could get even a decrease. But it's unlikely. There's evidence that we could have a change of more than 12 degrees. But again, it's unlikely. The most likely outcome is somewhere around 6 degrees. And this, it, in, it increases the work we have to do to understand the number. If I told you 6 degrees, I wouldn't be telling you about the uncertainty. <coughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, how has 09 um, improved over 02? First of all, the modelling of the climate has improved in a number of ways. A a number of known processes have been included in the model. And the most important one is the carbon cycle feedback, where we actually include the change that the climate has on, for example, the Amazon rainforest. The assumptions underlying the climate models have been explored. This is what we call parameter uncertainty. We could explain this at length, And if you insist, Roger will do so. I won't. (laughs) Um, We may not go there this afternoon. There is a great deal to understand there. I am not an expert. We've also, um, the people at the Met Office, have explored the structural differences between different climate models. So we're able to start to explore and describe the uncertainty due to some of these causes. This probabilistic information, I think I've described why we went that way, it avoids you making the assumption that the number in front of you is right when it's wrong, which might be very important. If you're just writing a tourist guidebook to Oxford, it doesn't matter if you get it wrong, but there are things for which it really will matter. So it may be more important to make a good enough decision bringing in the uncertainty than to try and make the best decision. And this probabilistic output, it allows you to explore the sensitivity of what you're dealing with. And we think it gives you an honest answer. There is a lot more data available. Um, It's one of the reasons we've not tried to produce it all in printed form. There is a huge amount, there's something like eight and a half thousand possible graphs that you could access Um, and to save you reading through pages of those we've made a a, a user interface um, that we'll come to in a moment. One of the things that certainly arouses a lot of interest and discussion, it's called the weather generator. It's not the right name for it but it's, it's the one we're stuck with. It doesn't have any more climate change than the rest of the information but it allows you to add on to that what we know about local spatial distribution of conditions and temporal patterning of, for example, rainfall. it allows you to produce statistical descriptions of weather-related events. Richard's gonna talk later about our training program. As I said, the probabilistic nature of the information allows more robust decisions. Now, try and get back to where I thought I was. People ask, do these new projections describe a different future climate from the one described in the O2 projections? Not really. The problem is that we're not comparing like with like. The deterministic projections from O2 can be compared, and I've compared them here, with the middle of the range for the probabilities that we could experience in the future. So, with that caveat, there are some uh, notable changes. The mean temperatures, the mean temperature change, is slightly greater than we projected in 2002. The reduction in summer rainfall, so the drying in summer, is not as great as we projected before. Winter rainfall, broadly the same, but subtly different geographical patterns. Um, So that in O2, every grid square in the country was projected to be wetter in winter. Um, One or two squares actually end up looking drier in winter in the O9 projections. Sorry, last thing on that, if I may. When you come to look at work that you've done using the O2 scenarios, a very obvious question is, do we need to redo these because you've launched ukcp 9 Let it be a decision based on looking at all of the probabilities, all the probabilities possible. If it's an excuse to do a proper risk-based analysis, then yes. But that O2 information is still perfectly valid. And it might not be sensible just to redo that work because you've got new data to put in. Have a reason to do that study again. Okay, it's going to be harder work for everybody. We think it's going to be worth it. We think you have to do some extra work besides absorbing this climate information. Um, And finally, that's somebody else's slide, what we want to do is not just to have you as passive customers for this information. Because as I said, it's an experiment. And you people and thousands of people like you will actually do that experiment. If you can tell us, has this been useful? If you can tell us how we should change it in the future. If you can give back your experience to us, we will share it with other people. I'll stop there and I'll hand over to the next speaker. We'll have questions all at the end, yes?